Today's scripture picks up right where we left off last week and goes from verse 9 to 14. It's a very short piece of this uh, Luke chapter 17, I'm sorry, 18. But uh, it's another parable about prayer. Different focus, but same kind of topic on the parable of prayer. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted Am I in the wrong place? I'm still in the wrong place. This is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? Yeah, this is right. I'm okay. This is a little bit different than up there. He also told this parable, some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my king income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of God for the people of God. Parables are typically short stories, and today is no exception. And this particular parable is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It's important that we say and acknowledge that it is a parable. Sometimes we read a parable and we think it was actually happened, and sometimes it was actually happened. But what a parable is, more or less, is a short story with an important lesson or point. It's kind of like a mini-sermon, if you will, with a series of events happening and an important lesson to be gained and learned and followed. A lot of people are being told what to do, but they don't do it. And a parable is a lesson for us to learn about, but then to practice what we've learned, to do what we are taught. Last week we talked about prayer too, and today the assumption is that we know we pray, but how do we pray? And in this story, we meet this tax collector. Now, tax collectors have some similarities in the New Testament with our tax collectors today, which often are not liked much either, because they get our money. Does anybody here love taxes? So I'm not alone. I sometimes talk to people and say, you know, our government, the federal government, the state government, the local government, they do a whole lot for those tax dollars, don't they? 
There were some dissimilarities, though, in the tax collector of Jesus' time. You have to understand that during Jesus' time on earth, that part of the world was dominated by Roman rule. So even though the people were living in Israel and Palestine there, they were still also living in the Roman Empire. It was sort of like having more than one boss. Anybody have more than one boss? Sometimes we have two or three, right? Then uh, count your spouse, too, by the way. So we have lots of bosses. So the tax collector really was working for the Roman government, not for his local people. And that was a problem, because a lot of people would feel that he was a traitor, working for the enemy, and taking our money to give to the enemy. I don't know of any country that always enjoys or says good things about their government. As good as it can be at times, and we need to have rule and law and order in society, a lot of us complain about it. Well, boy, did they ever complain it back in these days. And a tax collector was not somebody who was adored or even liked. I like this image because I kind of like this guy's by his face. But look what he's doing with his hands. He's testing out the money, right? He's weighing the money. He's figuring out if you're giving him the right amount. My grandfather worked for many years, most of his life, as a... Uh, a cashier in a store, either a grocery store or a convenience store for many years. And this was back when we didn't have computers to tell us how much change you would get back when you would give a dollar bill or dollars bills. And so he had to, in his mind, figure out what the change was every time somebody paid him for their product they were buying. My grandfather was way better with numbers than I'll ever be. He could have a list of numbers in front of him not lift a pencil or a cell phone, back in those days, of course, and add them up in his head. And I'm sitting there thinking, he carried five ones and two twos, and how in the world did he get up with that number? So some people are really good with numbers. The problem with the tax collector also was that the way he made his living, now you got to listen closely here, the way he made his living was by taxing you a little extra for himself. Did you hear me? Would you like him very much? Because not only did you have to pay your dreaded taxes to the Roman Empire, but you had to give a little more to support him and his family, and he might be living way better than you, by the way. So tax collectors were not adored or favored very much in Jesus' day. By the way, on a side note, Judas, the disciple Judas, we think was the treasurer of the disciples' band of 12. That might also be one reason why he wasn't looked favorably upon by some of his fellow disciples, because he was the one in charge of the money, and maybe he was dipping into the till. Never know. But these people were despised and actually hated by the people. So, if you're going to have a Pharisee and a tax collector, we've already talked about the tax collector, but the Pharisee basically is the leader of a church, of the, of the temple. He's the holy man. 
who are you going to like more? The pastor or the tax collector who's cheating you out of money? That's the way Jesus begins this parable. These two guys are praying. So when you hear just their title, Pharisee, tax collector, right away, people are hearing the story and they think, oh, the Pharisee's going to win this story. And that tax collector is going to be down in the pits where he belongs. But what happens? They're both praying, and we hear their prayer, don't we? Now, on the one hand, both prayers are good in this sense. They are addressing God in a personal way. That's what prayer should do. The problem isn't that they're doing the wrong kind of prayer. It's the detail of what they're saying that can be wrong, all wrong, or right. So the Pharisee gets up there, and how's he pray? I'm glad I'm not like her. I'm glad I'm not like him. And he's pointing fingers. Now, honestly, we do that on Facebook, don't we? And social media... Or in talks about politics or sports or whatever, we point fingers, don't we? I'm glad, D, I'm not a Broncos fan. <laughs> I was teasing her this morning about how are the Broncos doing and they're having a tough season. And I told her, and I call my team the Cowgirls. So, <laughs> you know, when we talk, we have to be careful what we say. I remember my grandmother always telling me that the moment you point at somebody, you have three fingers pointing back at myself, right? So don't point the finger. Don't point out other people's problems. Admit your own. This Pharisee is full of himself, isn't he? He's glad he's not like this person or that person or the other person. And he's kind of you know, propping himself up to be the good guy. Kind of reminding God just how good, in fact, he is, in case God forgot. And his prayer is anything but humble. It's all about pride, pride of self. I'm glad I'm not like that person. I'm glad I am who I am. I'm glad I'm better than everybody else. I hope you don't pray like that. I hope I don't ever pray like that. In the meantime, this hated tax collector, who everybody thinks in the story is going to be the one that's down in the pits, prays a very simple prayer. It's a very short prayer. Sometimes short is good. Sometimes us preachers need to remember that, too, by the way, because sometimes short sermons are better than long ones that bore you to tears. His prayer is simple. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Period. He doesn't compare himself to anybody else. He admits who he is. He admits and confesses his sin. And he's humble. See, it's not the fact that we 
pray. It's how we pray that is vitally important. I can pray all wrong, or I can pray right. Today at 11 o'clock for the children's time, I'm going to be sharing with them a quick lesson in how to pray. I don't think that we in the church get this lesson enough. Let me ask you a question. When did you learn how to pray, and who taught you that? I'm going to guess for most of you, it probably wasn't a pastor. It might have been a grandparent, a parent, some other person that kind of gave you the ropes on what to do, how to pray. Even in the church, we don't talk about the nuts and bolts of prayer enough. We assume that you know how to pray, and I'm going to get mad when you don't. As if it's osmosis, you just kind of learn by some magical formula or some magical way. And it's not that way. You have to learn how to pray. So today with the children, I'll tell them that when I was a kid, I had a Sunday school teacher, grandmother, and a father, those three, who taught me how to pray. And the first thing they said that we're supposed to do is to fold our hands. Why is that? So I don't pick on anybody else. <laughs> so we keep our hands to ourselves. We focus not on us, but on God. So we bow our head. Bowing our head can be dangerous. If I'm walking down the street and my head is down, I can run into somebody. Or if your face is in the phone, you can run into somebody. But we bow our head in prayer in reverence to God because we know that we're not God and we're not even worthy to be with God. So we fold our hands and we bow our head. And what do we do with our eyes? Why do we close them? Exactly. I don't need any other distractions. I can be distracted easily enough. So I close my eyes. I remember one year I was doing a radio talk. I was recording it in the studio out in Pittsburgh. And I was doing this little 15-minute talk for the following week that was going to be broadcast on a certain day of the week. And I was talking about prayer. And I said, now, wherever you are, I want you to pray. And I want you to do this. I want you to fold your hands, bow your head, and close your eyes. And then I had a little prayer. Moved on. That next Sunday, somebody came up to me after church was over and said, Bob, you almost made me wreck. And I said, what are you talking about? I wasn't even around you this week. I was driving in my car, they said, and you told me to bow my head, close my eyes, and fold my hands. And I almost wrecked. So don't do it in your car. <laughs> but we do things purposefully when we pray to remind ourselves who we are and who we aren't in reverence to God. Our posture in prayer is critical. I love this next image. I found this the other night. 
I love this image for a number of reasons. One is kind of cute, right? She is praying by her bed. And it's kind of hard to see. This is a better picture than the back one. There's a little darker back there. But she's determined in her facial expression, isn't she? I mean, she is focused on something, and it's not herself. Unlike that Pharisee who was all about himself. She's focused. And it's, it's hard to see. You can see it a little bit, but look at her grip. I mean, her fingers are turning white because she's got a grip on her prayer hands. I mean, she is praying hard. My mentor, who I just did the funeral for a few weeks ago out in Pittsburgh, had a whole sermon on hands. Our hands and hands of prayer. And if you ever see the statue of the praying hands, there's a whole great story about the person whose hands were modeled for that statue. And they weren't pretty hands. They actually were the hands of a mason who, whose hands were beat up and scarred and smashed from working in the stone quarry. A great story about that. I won't get into all of it, but our hands say a lot about who we are. And she's got this grip tight, and she's in a prayer posture, and she's in a prayer mode, and she's talking to Jesus. I love this image because it reminds me of what I was taught when I was a kid, that before you go to bed, before you let your head down and go to sleep, you pray to God. I was taught this prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray to the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray to the Lord my soul to take. Amen. I love this image. But I like this one too. It's more, a little bit different. It's a little boy at his bedside. And it's a little bit different posture. But you see... They're both kneeling. Now, the older I get, the harder it is to kneel. Well, no, not kneel. Get back up. <laughs> Actually, many times when I'm photographing sports over at ESU or in Friday Night Football, wherever I am in an outdoor sport, typically even in basketball, we want to be low to the ground because you really want your image to look, make the athlete look bigger. And so the angle of view is very important. Well, after last Saturday's four-hour football game, my knees were pretty sore. Posture is important, and it's not the physical posture that matters. It's the mental posture. The Pharisee wasn't like this. The Pharisee was all about himself, you know. It was all about him. Me, myself, and I. The tax collector, the hated tax collector, knew his place. And he prayed a humble prayer to his creator. Very simple. Another very well-known prayer. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's been often called a Catholic prayer. 
By the way, that prayer was used many times years and years ago by the desert fathers and mothers of the early church. That would be repeated over and over as they would meditate and pray, not just for a few seconds or minutes, but for hours. Some people say, Pastor, I pray to God, but He doesn't listen. Well, did you pray, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub? (laughs) Or did you really pray? Too many times we're too quick in our prayer life. We say something to God and we move on with the rest of our life. And we don't give God the credit of time and the due that God deserves. We're too quick. And in our prayer life, we only talk and we don't listen. How we pray is very important. And listening is part of prayer. Because if prayer is communication with God, communication is not just talking, preacher. It's also listening. So when we pray to God, we should not just talk or do all the talking, but listen as well. We get stumbled a lot on this because we'll say that God isn't hearing me or God isn't answering my prayer when in fact God did, but we just didn't hear it because we didn't take the time to listen. I wonder how many prayers seemingly go unanswered when in fact the answer is right there in front of us and we didn't listen. How many spouses do not listen to their husband or their wife? How many children do not listen to their mother or father or grandfather or grandmother? How many pastors don't listen to their congregation? How many of us don't listen to God? Prayer is partly listening, at least half. How many ears do you have? How many mouths do you have? I think I get it reversed sometimes. I have two mouths and one ear, it seems like. How we pray is what this parable is all about. Jesus is assuming that we're praying, and now he's pointing out two examples of two men in his day that are praying in the temple. One's got it all wrong, and one's got it all right. Which one are you? How are you praying? Are you listening? Are you thankful? I know Ray is. Being great-grandfather, man, that's exciting. Not every day is a great day. Not every day is a bad day. But every day is a day that we have. And every day is a day that we should pray about. And talk to God. And listen. Let's pray right now. God, we thank you that you always listen to us. Even when we don't mouth the words, but just think the thoughts. Forgive us, God, for not coming to you more often. Forgive us for being more like that Pharisee than we ought to be, too. God, help us not to just learn about prayer, but teach us how to pray. Teach us dedication 
and committed prayer. Constant prayer. And God, remind us to listen. Because we believe that You have a lot to say to each and every one of us. We thank You and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.